Good morning. Everybody's having a beautiful Sunday morning, a wonderful Sunday morning. It's good to be here with you guys. If you're uh, visiting here with us, we're glad to have you. Uh, We're just here at Redwood, a group of people who are trying to become more like Jesus. And the reason we're doing that is because we're enjoying this walk with Jesus that we're on, and we want people to come join the walk with us. And so that's why our mission here is to help people say yes to Jesus, in particular, ne- yes to your next step, whatever that is. If, if uh, that next step for you is saying yes to believing in Jesus, or saying yes to following Jesus, or saying yes to serving Jesus, whatever that yes might be, we want to help you say yes to it. And part of that is we spend a little bit of time each Sunday morning just studying his word. And over the last several weeks, we've been going through uh, the book of James, this amazing letter that was written by the brother of Jesus, uh, one of the earliest letters written, one of the earliest parts of the New Testament. Some scholars put it into the late 40s, even into the mid-50s, but one of the earliest letters written to the church uh, on behalf of, of, of Jesus. And what I love about James, like I've said this kind of throughout this, this series, is how practical it is, how applicable it is today, just like it was when it was written almost 2,000 years ago. Such amazing wisdom that we can put into our lives today. And so as we've gone through this letter, we've seen uh, how James has talked about what it means to follow Jesus, and in particular, how we should act and what we should do as we follow Jesus. We saw that through the first two chapters. And then he shifts in in chapter three, a couple weeks ago, we started looking at how James is telling us how we should think and what our wisdom should be like and how our wisdom should look. So we talked about how wisdom should impact our speech a couple of weeks ago. And how uh, we should be careful what we say because words bring life and words bring death. And we have to be careful when we speak because we're speaking to one of God's creations. Last week, Daniel finished out chapter 3 by, by talking about where our wisdom comes from. And is it the, the false wisdom we get from the world or is it true wisdom we get from God? And today, as we, we follow James, he takes this a step further and starts to kind of ratchet this up a little bit. Because he gets into chapter 4, and he really starts to hammer home why we should be careful where our wisdom comes from. Is it worldly wisdom? Is it godly wisdom? Where is it coming from? Because depending on where it's coming from will depend on whether you're fulfilled or not. And and what I love about James, I said this kind of back in the Hebrews series a little bit, uh, was that the writer of Hebrews often made a point to make a point kind of made one point so he could make another one, and he just built. And that's exactly what James does. This was one of the easier sections of Scripture to break down because, just kind of full disclosure, I'm going to kind of give you the rundown of this today. James is going to state the problem right off the bat. It's a question. Then he's going to give a reason for it. Then he's going to give a reason for that reason. And then a reason for the reason for the reason. Then he's going to give a solution and a reason for the solution. I love this. It makes it a lot easier on my part to follow along and to sculpt this out. But full disclosure on this too, James is talking about fighting and quarreling. And, and the reason I say full disclosure is we plan these sermons out months in advance. In fact, we've got the rest of this year planned, even into next year planned ahead a little bit. And so this has been on the calendar for a long time. And when we get into this very first question, it looks like I might have sat down and wrote this last night. Given what's going on in the country today, in the world today, it just, I mean, it's amazing how God times things out. And so I'm not trying to get up here and, 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 and say, boy, God's got this great message for you today. I'm not saying that. God does, I don't. So, so hear me out on that. But James chapter four, let's just dive right into it. James states that we have a problem. And that problem is that we are fighting 
and that we are quarreling. That's our problem. And in chapter four, verse one, he asks the question, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? I don't know who he's talking to here. And if you look in different commentaries, they don't know either. They'll spend pages trying to figure out exactly who James is talking to. Is he talking to society as a whole? Is he talking to the church? Is he talking to individual people? I'm not sure. Maybe it's all the above. I think we could answer that on all those levels today. On the international level, we have a couple of countries right now daring each other to start a fight. It's not going to go well for anybody if it happens. On the national level, we have a fight on the other side of the country that's just despicable. And and I, I tweeted this yesterday, the church should be appalled by what's happening. I mean, I'm sick to my stomach by what's happening. And again, I didn't write this sermon for that. I wrote this in the, earlier in the week before I even knew about all that. But it fits it. Maybe it's in the church. Maybe the fights are in the church and, and we're disagreeing over doctrine or we're disagreeing maybe even over things that are non-essential. We're fighting over little things. I don't know. Maybe it's personal. Maybe it's not an external fight. Maybe it's all internal. Maybe you're waging a war with yourself. Maybe you're fighting an enemy inside you that nobody else can see or nobody else can understand, but that's the fight. I don't know, but maybe it's all the above. Maybe it's all the above. But here's the good thing about James. He starts explaining why we have these problems. So he gives us the reason. The reason that we fight, why do we fight? James says it very clearly. Something is missing. Something's missing in our lives. He says that in verse two. He says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have, get this, because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So what's missing? I think that's different specifically for each and every one of us. But what it boils down to is whatever is missing is something that leads to fulfillment in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls. That's what's missing. And again, that might look different for each one of us. Now, ultimately, the answer is what's missing is God. That's what's missing. But we try to label it something specific and and earthly and worldly. And so we're constantly looking for answers. We're going around, we're we're picking up self-help books, we're watching YouTube videos trying to help us figure it all out. We've watched everything, we've read everything, we've gone everywhere, we've tried to figure this out on our own. And yet too many of us are, are, are echoing the words of the great philosopher Bono, when he said, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. <laughs> Full disclosure, I don't like you too, but just throwing that out there. But I'm going to date some of you guys here because that song is one of the greatest hits of you too. is almost 30 years old. And in that song, Bono basically states, I've traveled the world. I've climbed over the mountains. I've, I've gone across the rivers and the seas and the oceans. I've gone everywhere. I've done everything. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Is that not us today? We read everything, we watch everything, we listen and learn as much as we possibly can, and yet we can say the exact same thing that he said back then. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. In the song, he's looking for a girl. We could replace girl with whatever, though. I I mean, we're looking for fill in the blank, and we still haven't found it. That's where we are, because we're looking in the wrong places, and we're trying to fill our, our voids and find fulfillment in the wrong things. 
And what do we just think about? What do we try to fill that with? What do we seek fulfillment in? Materialism. That's a big one for us. Stuff. <laughs> uh, you guys have heard me say this before. I'm a guy, I've got my hobbies. And when you're a guy and you have hobbies, you need stuff. That's just, that's like a state law. You have to have it. It's part of it. Every couple of, of months, I get these in the mail. These uh, catalogs for Cabela's. You know how it works. You order something from a place one time, you're on their mailing list for the rest of eternity. That's how it works. So I get these. Well, not only do I get their big fall catalogs, I get their specific, individualized, specialized catalogs, even for stuff I don't care about. I got one for deep sea fishing. This is the closest I've ever lived to an ocean. I lived in Oklahoma. I was getting deep sea fishing books. But here's the thing. I, I got these just this week's reason I brought them. One of them is a clothing catalog. I'll thumb through it. I probably won't even look too much at that one. But this one, uh, here it's got me. <laughs> Waterfowl. <laughs> I haven't found a place to go out here yet. Back in Oklahoma, I went all the time. This is the time of the year you start getting ready. Some of you guys are hunters, you know that. This is the time of year you start prepping. It's 110 degrees, yes. But if you don't get your work in now, then you're behind when it gets to be 30 degrees. So I'll thumb through this. And I have enough gear and clothing to take like three people my size hunting. I don't need anything. I've got like five dozen decoys. I've got a lanyard full of duck calls. I've got five more sitting on my shelf in my office. Because you need extras. You need backups. (laughs) You know, sometimes the reeds freeze up. Sometimes you just need a different pitch. Those ducks aren't listening to that one. So I'll look through it going... Man, that's a good-looking call. I need to add that to the lanyard. Well, my buddy's got that one. I think I should get it too. Boy, if we get guilty of not being satisfied. Or maybe you're satisfied with what you have, so you go to your neighbor's house. And you see, man, look at those kitchen counters. Those are nice. Look at those cabinets. I like my Jeep. You know, it's an old beat-up Jeep. I love it till I pull up next to a brand new Rubicon. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I think Jesus likes to have a pastor driving a Rubicon. That's okay. <laughs> it's materialism. That's what it is. And where does materialism come out of? It's rooted in narcissism. It's the worship of self above all else. I need, I need, I need. It's no longer I want. It's no longer, man, one of these days I'd like to have. It's I need. And so we, we're constantly trying to fill this void with stuff. Maybe it's not materialism for you. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's control. It's influence. That's what you have to have. You don't necessarily care what stuff you have so long as you've got control over the situations in life. Maybe that's it. Maybe you see a a chance to get a hold of something and you do and you never let go of it. That's what you need. That makes you feel full of life is having control, having power. Maybe that's it. I don't know, but we're missing something. And when we're missing something, James says, we fight. We start quarreling and fighting with others. But James goes on. He doesn't just leave it hanging there. He gives us a reason. He tells us why we're missing something. And why are we missing something? Because we're cheating on God. Listen to what he says in verse 4. He says, you adulterous people. That's a hard word. You think about it today, somebody's cheated on a spouse. 
We call him a cheater, a liar, unfaithful, philanderer, whatever term. We don't really ever say, man, he's an adulterer. That's a hard word. That's a harsh word. But that's exactly what James is calling us here. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell within us? I just, this is such a, a powerful verse that James lays out here. Comparing cheating on a spouse to looking away from God for fulfillment. See, here's the thing about, about adultery. Adultery doesn't just happen because you see a good-looking woman or a good-looking guy. It happens because you're no longer finding fulfillment in the spouse you have. That's where it happens. I don't think any guy sees a woman like, nope, yep, she's the, she's the new one. Sorry, you're done. No, it's, it's because we've allowed ourselves to no longer be fulfilled by what we have. That's where it comes from. And I think of it like with my wife. Jennifer and I have been married for eight years. And we're at a point in our marriage that I feel like we are so strong. But yet the world is constantly wanting to pull us apart and then tell us it's okay. You realize right now it's easier to have an affair than any point in history. You know why? Because the internet exists. Before to have an affair, it had to be somebody you knew. You had maybe somebody in the office or, or uh, somebody in your social circle or maybe a, a mom on your kid's soccer team, whatever. Now there's websites that are devoted solely to this. I'm not even going to mention their names. I'm not going to give them that kind of dignity. But there's one of them. Their tagline is, life is short, have an affair. One of their advertisements shows this couple about to get intimate. And it says underneath it, this couple is married but not to each other. That exists. That's real. That's out there right now. The devil has got such a tight grip on us because we have allowed it to happen. We have taken our eyes off of God. And the thing we have to understand is, is James uses this phrase adulterous. He uses this illustration of marriage. Why? Because marriage is so important to God don't believe me? Look in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul says this in verse 25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And get this in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Why is marriage so important to God? You realize before any government ever existed, marriage did. It was the very first institution God ever put in place, was marriage. Here's why. As Paul states there in Ephesians 5, marriage is the closest thing we can possibly experience to understand the love Christ has for the church. It's not my love for my kids, it's my love for my wife. That's it. That's why it's so important to God. Some of you guys have been married 50, 60 years. That is amazing. Amazing. I'm not saying that sarcastically. This world wants you to fall apart. 
Satan wants that to fall apart. You guys that have been married this long have shown that you understand that love Christ has for his church. I, I look at it this way. When you've been married that long, you've persisted. Again, Jennifer and I have been married eight years. And I can sit here today, and I'm not gonna make this sound like a boast, but I can sit here today and confidently say that as of today, August 13th, 2017, there is zero chance that I would have an affair on, on Jennifer. I would cheat on her. As of today, right now, if, the, if, if today I'm sitting in my office and the opportunity presented itself, I could turn it down. Why? Because my love for her is strong. So, I mean, opportunity comes in, this woman comes in, and so let's just say she is the 10 of 10s. And there's a sealed up guarantee. She'll never know. Nobody's ever gonna find out. I could guarantee it. No, it's not gonna happen. But, let's say that that woman gets a second glance. And then day by day, she gets a little bit more of a glance. So today, August 13th, no, it's not gonna happen but I'm opening the door for maybe the future. You following with, with me on this? Again, I don't think affairs happen because you see somebody and like, that's it, I'm going for it. It happens because you've cracked that door open and you've allowed a secondary relationship to start to grow a little bit. That's when it would happen. So am I, am I saying flat out guarantee that, that I could never possibly cheat on my wife? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying today, my mission, my goal is to make sure today stays the same every day going forward. Here's the thing, folks. This is the same thing with the church. We have cheated on God. We've become adulterous. And I don't necessarily mean the church here today, but as a society. Go back a generation ago. Do you think they could have foreseen where we are at today? We couldn't have. We didn't. It didn't happen overnight. It's happened over time. And the same thing can happen with the marital relationship. It can break down over time if we allow it. See, the only way that, that possibility, that, that guarantee starts to drop is when I start taking my eyes off my wife and looking at somebody else. And I start giving her attention and, and exploring and wondering in my mind about this person. Same thing happens with God. We start taking our eyes off of God and we look at other things for fulfillment, other things for worship. And now here we are in 2017, let's just call it what it is, folks. We are living in a post-Christian society. What I mean by that is, Society has moved to a point where the church is irrelevant. They don't need the church. They don't need a savior. They're their own savior. We've talked about this. They worship the gospel of humanity. You can preach what you want as long as it doesn't offend anybody. That's the gospel of humanity. That's where we are today. Again, that didn't happen overnight. And that's not just a next generation millennial thing. I see it out of the generation ahead of me. I've seen it out of almost every generation. We've gotten to this point collectively. We've gotten there as a whole. And the question is, how do we start to work our way back? James makes a very harsh uh, reality here. He says, if you're gonna be a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. You're on one side of the fence or the other. There's no ride in the fence. Jesus makes an illustration in Revelation about you're either hot or you're cold. You can't be lukewarm. You're one side or the other. I've used this illustration about getting in the pool before. When you're following Jesus, the goal is to get in the deep end of the pool. And some of you may be getting that first step in and you're saying, well, wait a minute, are you saying I've got to just jump straight in? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can't live just in a perpetual state sitting on the side with your feet in. Eventually, you've got to get in or get out. But if you're just putting that first foot in, keep moving forward. 
keep getting a little bit more in the water every day. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He wants us to be fully in the water. He wants us to be fully following him. That's why he told people back in his day to follow me, to be my disciple. You take up your cross and you follow me. That's what it takes. And he, he lays that out and he knew that it was gonna be hard for us. He knew it was gonna be hard for his disciples because in John 17, in this amazing prayer that Jesus has, is this prayer that I don't feel worthy to even get to read. He states this just before he's arrested. He says in, in John 17, verse 14, he says, I have given them, that's the disciples, that's the followers, that's us today. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. You know, we feel strife and animosity from the world towards the church today. You bet you we do. You bet we do. But that's where we are, and that hasn't happened overnight. That's happened because we have taken our eyes off of Jesus. We're cheating on God. And because we're cheating on God, something in our lives is missing. We're lacking fulfillment, and because of that, we're fighting. So the question then we follow this up with, James answers in verse six, he gives us a reason. Why do we cheat on God? It's simple. Our pride has become greater than our humility. Our pride has become greater than our humility. We're seeing this every day. We are seeing people anointing themselves as this high-level protector of God this high-level defender of God's word, and often what they're doing is they're defending their interpretation of God's word. They're defending their thoughts and ideas and agendas, and what they're actually doing is they're putting themselves above the gospel. They're putting themselves above the word of God. They're declaring superiority in what they think and believe, and in the process, they're using God's word to destroy God's people. And James says something about that. In verse six, he says, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This should be a warning. This isn't just some casual reminder. This is a warning. James is throwing it down for God here, saying, God doesn't just tolerate the proud. He doesn't just get annoyed by the proud. No, God puts himself in direct opposition to the proud. Direct opposition. Football season's about to start. You're gonna see two teams line up directly across from each other and just start, we used to call banging pads. Hidden helmets, hidden shoulder pads. You're gonna hear the, the, the sounds. God lines himself up just like one team from the other in opposition to the proud. Why? Because we need to embrace the humility that Jesus did. Because Jesus, who was God, came to earth and took on the form of a, ser- a servant. The humblest, the lowest of lows. In response to verse six, James gives us the solution. How do we avoid that? How do we avoid that direct opposition to God? We humbly submit. What's that look like? James gives you five very simple words in verse seven. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. To God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We humbly 
submit. I don't know how that looks for you. When I think of humble submission to God, I, I think giving up those things that I like, giving up those desires that I have for myself, my family, my church. I put it all in God's hands. See, James kind of explains some ways to do that. In verse nine, he says, to be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What he's saying there is let your sin be enough of a sorrow for you that you recognize the need for grace. Don't beat yourself up constantly because you've sinned, but let it be a catalyst for moving into the waters of baptism. Or verse 11, he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges uh, his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Again, we are seeing this right now. Now, if you saw it yesterday, uh, in, in, in Virginia, on the other side of the country, this group of white supremacists claiming to be followers of God, to be warriors for Christ, met up with some counter-protesters. One of them drove a car right through a crowd of people, killed three of them. The pictures online are horrifying, bodies flying in the air, literally. And they're doing this on behalf of the gospel. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't understand how anybody who could possibly have submitted to Christ, to submitted to God, could possibly do that to another person could possibly see how they could use this as a weapon. And that's what they're doing. Humble submission to God. It means your pride is gone. It means your agendas are gone. It means the gospel becomes superior to everything in your lives. Humble submission to God means this. It means the gospel has become superior to your agenda. It means the gospel has become superior to all forms of supremacy. It means the gospel becomes superior to racism. It means the gospel becomes superior to ethnocentrism. It means the gospel becomes superior to social uh, status. It means the gospel becomes superior to every single category created by mankind because you're allowing it to. And hear me out, the gospel is superior to all that. But we don't allow it to be that way when we claim superiority and we refuse to humbly submit our lives to God. Again, Christ told the people back in his day to pick up your cross and follow me. The cross was the ultimate symbol of submission. There was no coming back from the cross. That was the ultimate symbol of hum- humiliation. And he's telling, if you want to be my follower, you willingly pick that up and you follow me. And the same applies to us today. We must willingly submit to God and follow him. Why? Because our lives are just a vapor. Our lives are just temporary. We submit because we aren't made for this world. Verse 13, James says this, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it's a sin. Our lives are such just a, a, not even a blip on the radar of eternity. But yet we still seek to control our own means of fulfillment. Why do we fight? Why do we quarrel? Because we've taken our eyes off of God and we've looked elsewhere for fulfillment. I think back to the words of Solomon. Back in uh, the Old Testament days, if there was anybody who ever had it all, it was Solomon. Wealthiest person that's ever lived, wisest person that's ever lived, had power, had control, could have done anything he wanted. At the end of his life, he starts looking back on it, and with regret, he writes the words in the book of Ecclesiastes, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. And he goes on through chapter one, stating everything about his life that's meaningless, and at the end of chapter one, he uses these phrases, this word, he says, it's meaningless, it's like chasing the wind. That's what James is telling us here. Why is, is, is seeking fulfillment in the world meaningless? Because your life is a vapor, a mist, he says. But that's where we are. We have to remember that as Christians, we're like Jesus said, we're set apart. We are called apart, and we have to pick a side. It's one or the other. See, it boils down to this. The less we try to control our worldly mindsets, the easier it is to find and embrace humility and submit to God. Submission's not easy. We could do a whole sermon just on what it means to submit. Submission's not easy, especially if you're a 21st century American and society's telling you to get what you want to get and do what you want to do how you want to do it. But we aren't made for this world. We aren't made of this world. We're made to follow Jesus. So what do you do with this? Here's a takeaway for you. Pick one area, one area, big area, small area, I don't care. Pick one area this week that you're willing to give up complete control over and give it to God. Maybe it's your finances. That's a big area. Maybe it's your free time in the afternoons. Maybe it's, it's a specific talent or ability that you have. Maybe it's your ability to control something. Give it up and give it to God and allow that area that you give up to further your faith and your trust in God. See, the only way we find fulfillment in God is to trust Him and to put our faith in Him and then to allow Him to show us that He is worthy. He is worthy, but sometimes we have to allow Him to show us individually. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. God, and it's just, it, it breaks my heart to see, God, that we are allowing ourselves to lack fulfillment because we don't look at you. We are allowing ourselves to look elsewhere and, and to, to be adulterous. So God, forgive us Forgive us when we look other, way, other places. Forgive us when we look other ways. 
forgive us when we try to do it all ourselves. God, I just, I'm so thankful that you're a God of grace. You're a God of forgiveness. You're a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances because God, I know I've needed every single one of them. God, help us keep our eyes on you that we would not lack fulfillment in you. We would find it every day in you. God, be with our world right now. Be with our nation. God, as we just continue to find ways to divide ourselves, bring us together. God, let us see that the only hope for us is you. It's your word, it's it's your son, it's Jesus. Let us all look back to the cross and look back to Jesus so that we can come back together. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.